Hello everyone, Dr. Julie here, and you are listening to my Coffee Chats podcast. I am a health researcher, PhD trained, and chef self-trained, on a mission to leave the next generation and our planet a lot more of a healthier place. This is your space to ask questions on topics that no one seems to want to discuss, with information that is backed by research, along with a good dose of practical advice. Real talk, real people, real answers. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you have all had a wonderful week. In today's episode, we have three great caller questions. The first is on alcohol and estrogen changes. The second is on body confidence and wearing togs appropriate for this time of year. And the third is around serving dessert and dinner together. So, Let's dive right in. Our first caller question. Julie, thank you for your podcast on reducing alcohol. And this is something that I am taking on. You mentioned hormone changes, and I wondered if you had any more information on this. Great question. And what I want to say is that this is all coming from a place of love and knowledge is power. And I think you'll find this science really interesting. In Here in New Zealand, we do have a very heavy drinking culture and a lot of us have been brought up with this. And so changes with our habits around drinking are more challenging and complex than they seem. And what I find fascinating about the science of this is that it really helps to explain the difference between how alcohol affects biological men and women. Simply put, women do not metabolize alcohol the same as men. We are definitely on the back foot with this. We have less of an enzyme that is responsible for metabolizing alcohol. This enzyme is called alcohol dehydrogenase, and men have this in huge volumes. Women, very, very small amount. So right from the get-go, what that means is that we break down or don't metabolize alcohol as much, which means more of it gets into our bloodstream. This is why we have to, quote unquote, have a lower alcohol tolerance than our male counterparts. And it means that it doesn't actually get out of our system as fast. Now, what that means is because there is more alcohol entering the bloodstream, we have a higher risk of associated lifestyle conditions, including liver disease, heart disease, cancer, and stroke. It goes on. So, when we are premenopausal, our liver volume actually shrinks by about 40%. And this means that there are some implications of drinking that we wouldn't have had in our 20s. Our liver is responsible for breaking down and metabolizing alcohol, and that's where that key enzyme is situated. And so you may notice it in terms of when you do drink that your sleep is particularly poor. And I mentioned in that last podcast, when we drink even one glass of alcohol, it actually prevents us getting to the bottom of our REM sleep. So if we're struggling to metabolize alcohol, 
with a smaller liver than we used to, this is going to be amplified. It means that hangovers are more severe and often the anxiety and some of the hormone-related changes that affect our mental health and well-being can also increase. Now, where this is really key with estrogen and particularly entering into menopause is that because the liver is working over time and it's smaller to metabolize alcohol, it's not metabolizing estrogen. Now, estrogen is also metabolized by the liver. So because the liver is doing all the work with alcohol, estrogen doesn't get metabolized and then we become estrogen dominant. Now, this is a particular risk factor for high levels of estrogen being associated with hormone-related cancers. Ooh, some heavy science in that. So in short, <laughs> as women, we cannot metabolize alcohol the same as men. As we get older and we age, we become at higher risk of estrogen domination and a flow-on implication to hormone-related cancers from this, and because we can't metabolize alcohol the same, lifestyle-related diseases in association with that as well. So I know your next question is going to be where to start with this, and what I touched on briefly in that last podcast was actually having a look at why you're drinking, where you are drinking, and looking to reduce down and definitely having some alcohol-free nights and then reducing the volume in which you are drinking on those alcohol-free nights. Because this is so heavily embedded into our culture and our society, I would definitely also make sure that you've got some key people in your life that are supportive of this. There's no neutrality here. You can't sit on the fence as a friend with someone who is looking to drop down the alcohol intake. You are either supportive to them or you're actually contributing to it. So it's sort of one or the other. And if it's not you and if it is a friend that's looking to, you know, to drop this down, that's really helpful. You know, I've got um, some great girlfriends and who know that I don't drink very much and by default they don't drink very much and if they do there's definitely absolutely no pressure whatsoever and almost by default they will get a soda water and lime for me without even asking without even making you know like a big deal about it and being like oh you don't want to drink do you Julie you know anything like that so be really careful of the people that are in your circle for this and you know use this knowledge and this science because these are some pretty big implications well beyond what we ever thought about in our 20s. Our second caller question is a topic very close to my heart and this is around body confidence and wearing togs. Julie, I know you have done a lot of incredible work in this area around body shapes, body confidence, empowering women and you've certainly helped me but I still really struggle and this time of year when we're getting into togs I absolutely dread. Do you have any advice or any thoughts on this? Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful caller. I have so much love for you with this and 
thank you for sending in a really vulnerable question and a question which I know affects, I mean, I'd like to say so many women, but is there, is there anyone that it doesn't actually affect, like truly deep down? You know, when we look at how we've been brought up and we look at the way that women are sexualized and we look at all of the messaging and where to even start with that. And a woman who I would highly recommend you follow if you haven't is uh, Taryn Brumfit. I've had the pleasure of meeting her at one of her speaking events. She's been named Australian of the Year and she has done some absolutely phenomenal work in this area. She's done a movie called Embrace and that's what I went to see. And she's also done or is working on one for children as well. She doesn't just talk about this in terms of body weight or body size or body composition. It's so much more than that as well. So she is a great person to follow on social media. She'll really put some good things into your into your mind. What I want to say, just some quick fire thoughts on this, is that it is okay to dislike parts of yourself. And it's okay to want to change them. I think it's really important that we come from a place of self-compassion. And when we squash those feelings down, it doesn't serve us. Because that's how we are feeling. That is our truth at this particular point in time. And... I think the overall message of just love yourself the way that you are. Look, if it works for you, great. It doesn't work for me. And also there are some reasons why we want to change things. You know, just even looking at alcohol and the estrogen changes, you know, like there are some health complications and health considerations, not just with body size, but with our actions that we take in our well-being, which may show up in a particular body size. So it's okay to want to change them. It kind of defies evolution and growth to not want to do that. But you can still come from a place of love within that. You can still come from a place of compassion for yourself within that. And it still doesn't mean it needs to hold you back. But it's okay to kind of hold both parts, if if that makes sense. And what I would also say is that from a very practical point of view too, is that when it comes to togs, I mean, could you get a more revealing outfit? <laughs> like, I mean, out of all the things that, that we might you know, wear or, or put on. And so again, coming from a place of compassion that, that basically we're trying to feel good in something we're wearing like next to nothing. And like, I know it's so easy to look at people online and see them go, oh, they're just so confident or they've got the, the perfect body. And you know, what I love about TikTok as a social media channel is that it does actually bring a lot of this to the forefront, you know, it brings out a lot of women that struggle with body dysmorphia, when they have what we would possibly look at and go up a perfect body, you know, it talks about bodybuilding and some of the realities behind that and some of the really unhealthy habits that it's often associated with. We're actually getting a much more balanced view on that app than we would anywhere else. It'd be so easy when we just see someone in that very, you know, squared view 
typically with Instagram, Facebook, our generation is is probably moving off that now. But you know, we we don't we don't see any thoughts or feelings or anything behind that. I think for most people, getting in a pair of togs is not a comfortable experience. Again, if you're listening and you feel comfortable in togs, great. And we also don't wear them a lot, particularly here in New Zealand as well. So it's not something that we necessarily do all the time. And like most things that you do all the time, you actually get better at it and more confident at it. Whereas it's sort of like in this time of year is massive for that in terms of, you know, oh, we're like, oh my gosh, now we've actually got to put these togs on. And something that I have learned through all of this work and understanding how to dress myself is actually the importance of getting things that are really functional for you that fit your body so given the fact that they're togs and they're going to be difficult anyway invest in a really good pair of them it's important because if you feel good you are going to look good you are going to feel confident in them there's so many different types of togs slash bikinis available and I definitely think given that it is something that's quite triggering for a lot of us it's worth the investment and again this is like regardless of of body size you know for me I have a very small chest you know how hard it is to find a good bikini top for someone with a very small chest and I'm a lot smaller on top than I am on the bottom so one piece togs often don't work for me for that reason a bikini works for me because I can get a different size in the bottom than I do in the top you know there's a trend at the moment for togs that sort of don't cover your whole ass to be quite blunt now for some you might feel really comfortable in that I've tried some of them on and you know like I like to wear g-strings as underwear but like they kind of just irritate me these togs because they're not kind of covering everything and then they're also not quite just sitting there so you know getting something that works for you regardless of what's in trend is also important you know go in try some different ones on have a look on line but I also think that you that you want to try some on in in a shop so you can actually see and do it when you've got some time don't do it when you're surrounded by kids don't do it when it's a busy Saturday morning and there's all these young 20 year olds in there shopping take a girlfriend so you can get some positive reassurance with it that's okay get them to peek around the the corner of the curtain for you so you don't have to come out in, into the middle I think that that's that's relative and it's important. And then when you, once you find a, a brand or a style that you like, get more than one pair. Because if one pair is wet or you lose one of them or it goes through the washing machine really funny, like get two pairs so that you've got them there and then you can go out and enjoy them as they are. I do just want to offer a little bit of perspective too. And this is coming from someone that has experienced the severe loss of function when it comes to swimming. And this is by no means to make you feel guilty, but to just give you that little gentle push of we actually don't want to let 
everything hold us back from something that is an incredible sense of joy. For any new listeners to this podcast or, or to my story, the last time that I was able to put my head under water was the summer of uh 2018. I have not been able to put my head under water, jump off a jetty or even enjoy a shower with the full water streaming down on top of me uh, since then. My air condition, my advanced cholesterol means I cannot get a single drop of water inside my ear and It is a grief and a heartbreak that I have to live with for the rest of my life. And I didn't know in that summer of 2018 that it was my last summer that I would be able to do that. I have a video of jumping off a jetty with my oldest son. And here's the thing, I have no idea what I weighed, I have no idea what I looked like, I have no idea whether I had cellulite on the back of my thighs or a rolly tummy or anything like that, all I see when I look at that video is that I was able to jump off the jetty with him freely and enjoy that and I know that there are people that experience so much worse than me as well and you know while Again, that this is this is coming from a place of love and self-compassion. I do just want to give you that nudge as someone that's not able to do that. I've never been able to do that with Ray. For me to even stand in the water, I need to put my special earplug in because there's actually a lot of splashing that happens. You don't realise that until you are actually terrified of water getting up near your face. So even when I'm in the in the shallows, calm shallows, I need to have that uh, in, in my ear. And we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we don't know if it might be our last summer or our last you know we have one wild and precious life and it's okay to feel self-conscious it's okay to wish with all of our heart and soul that that we had a different outside it's okay to be actively taking actions to work on that which I think is really powerful while still making the most of the time that we've got as well hope that helps I do and like so many topics that we talk about on here again I feel like I'm just scratching at the surface I feel like there's so many layers to this I feel like there's so many of us that struggle in all sorts of different ways and all I can impress on as someone who's had my body change over and over again I've had five babies inside me I've been pregnant you know, to full term three times, I've done three postpartum journeys, you know, where I'm at now, I'm four years after my third baby, it takes a long time to make changes in in body composition, it's, it's never overnight, and it's still hard, and I still struggle, so much love. Now, third caller question, I have actually been asked this 
multiple times, not just for the podcast, but also at many of my live events. And it is around serving dessert and dinner together, particularly to toddlers. So, hi Julie, I have a question I've been dying to ask you. I've seen some nutritionists recommending serving dessert or lollies alongside dinner. Now this seems a bit backwards to me, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, to be very straight, I do not recommend this at all. And I am yet to see any peer-reviewed scientific research to suggest this as well. I understand the theory behind it, but it doesn't fit and it doesn't fit with our food environment and it doesn't fit with boundaries and our hideous food environment. Let's call it what it is. So the theory behind this is that it means we're not making a big deal out of something sweet. So let's say it's lollies. Lollies served alongside dinner and then we're giving our our toddlers the choice or our children the choice to eat what they want from their plate. I get the concern around demonizing sugar or demonizing any foods, but I think this is just taking it a little too far because what it's doing is it's normalizing those foods. And bottom line is we shouldn't be eating them. So why should we be normalizing foods that we actually shouldn't be eating that provide next to no nutritional value at all and why would we expect a three-year-old or a four-year-old to be able to make that choice let alone the exposure to sugar as well now in a earlier podcast I actually go into this in a bit more detail so that's worth a listen and if you haven't had a look at my sugar reduction guide I talk through a lot of the science in this but particularly with uh, sugar and dopamine and that playing on the pleasure and and reward sense we don't eat like that as adults there's a reason for that so if we're trying to guide our children to eat as well as we could why would we do something that we're not going to do and why not see our children as Agents to make their own informed choices with some really good science and research behind that. Why not actually talk about the implications of sugar to them? They understand more than we give them credit for. You know, last week I spoke on the podcast about being an anchor for your kids around pornography and things on the internet as young as eight. You can't you can't tell me that children that young then can't grasp the concept that sugar plays on the pleasure and reward sense in your brain they can and it's important that they do it's important that they understand bliss points we can talk to them about food in fact without demonizing it you know again knowledge is power gosh it's gonna be my mantra right because it it takes out any morality around that that's what knowledge does that's what peer-reviewed academic research does and there's a reason we don't have peer-reviewed academic research to show that this is a a technique to encourage healthy eating because it doesn't it doesn't how like how could it how how can we you know trust children to have the willpower when there's a huge hormonal pull behind that and it's got nothing to do with willpower but that's what we see on the outside to not want the sweet things when they're having that with dinner. I 
as I said, I you can probably hear my frustration because I see so many parents come to me who are exhausted, confused, trying to do their best, getting so many confusing and conflicting messages and trying out all these different things and not really knowing kind of what what is the best path for. So if it feels backwards to you, just to check into your own gut instinct, if it feels backwards to you, then it is. And hopefully I've given you some tidbits on here to actually say, yes, it is backwards, but I just wanted to highlight that because that was your like that was your initial thought before you kind of Galvin, as we all do, kind of got lost with all of the, well, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And one of my ongoing messages when it comes to sugar is that it's okay to be guardians of that for our children. They need us to do that. They need us to see us saying no to it. They need us to help them put some guidelines in it because it is everywhere. We are not talking about an even playing field We are talking about foods that are made with mathematical formulas to leave a body just not quite satisfied to keep wanting more and more and more and more. It's not an even playing field. They need us. I've had other questions around how we should actually talk to kids or what are some positive ways to talk to kids about food and I know that I've probably given some little tidbits in here, but haven't kind of directly answered that. So I will in a, in a future podcast. But hopefully that's helped to answer your question. Simple answer is no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't recommend it. And again, your gut instinct was on point. So you're doing a better job than you think. Oh, we covered a broad range of topics this week. Alcohol and estrogen and how it's metabolized different from men and women. Hopefully that's given you some good science as you're going through your journey with this. Unpacked that huge topic around body confidence and getting in togs. Go and get yourself a great pair of togs. And dinner and dessert together. No, no, and no. Right. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Keep your questions coming through. And I'm going to see you same time same place next week i just want to do a shout out to our incredible sponsor 06 coffee as you all know i am coffee obsessed and 06 is a local new zealand company also very waste conscious coffee does not ask questions coffee understands and coffee gives you five minutes peace in the chaos which i really hope you get today please use the code 1506 for 15 percent off That's it for this week's episode. If you do have a question, please drop it into the contact page of my website or a DM on Instagram. Everything from food, wellbeing, business, motherhood and life questions are answered here. I do really hope you get in a peaceful cup of coffee or at least take some time to yourself today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date and make sure you don't miss an episode. Until next week, with love, Dr Julie.